Our scripture this morning comes from Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Darah in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews, They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigone, harp, drum, and the entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
In music, dissonance is when two or more notes are played together or right after one another to make the listener feel just slightly uncomfortable. You heard it there for just a moment in this chord. Feels unresolved, doesn't it? Something else needs to happen after this. And when it comes, we all feel comforted. Ah, it's over. It's nice. It adds a lot to a, a musical piece. There was actually a lot of dissonance in the song that Christina sang for us, that she held that note and we're all hanging on every note she sings, and then she resolves it, and it was awesome. But what if... What if we're waiting? And it's left unresolved. What if it just hangs there? The dissonance, the tension that it creates. Eventually, most of us will move on and forget about those notes. Some of you Musicians in the audience are going to rush home and play a C chord so that you can get that G7 out of your head. Music is not the only place dissonance occurs. Today, we're going to talk about a reality in which we all live. To help us explore this reality, I'm going to share two stories with you. In their details, these two stories are very unique. They happened to real people in real places with real families. But as you hear these stories, my guess is you will immediately be able to relate to them. You will be able to think of similar stories either from your life or from people you know and love. These two stories we're going to hear about portray a dissonant reality, an uncomfortable reality in which two things are true. But when held together, they create tension in our minds. The first story is from a family here in our community. Instead of simply telling you their story, I went out to their house this week sat in their beautiful screened-in porch over the lake right behind their backyard and filmed them telling you their story. Anna and Mel are here with us this morning. Uh, let's hear uh, from their story. For a routine Let's start it back over at the beginning. Maybe. And... In May of 2019, I went for a routine colonoscopy. And uh, while I was having my colonoscopy, the doctor found um, some unusual bulges and took uh, biopsies, found out that I had ovarian cancer cells, saw an oncologist, and I was diagnosed with stage four serous cell ovarian cancer. Um, the plan was uh, chemotherapy, surgery and a remission 
by December. Well, when you get a diagnosis like that, it naturally turns your life upside down. And it, we've just been so blessed and so fortunate to have a lot of friends around the country that we've met in various churches who, when we reached out to, um, were praying for us through this whole process, literally hundreds of people. And we could feel that, we could sense that, we knew that it was going on, but more importantly, we would continue to see evidence of that, you know, right up to the point where even when things had changed and um, we went to see a specialist at the MD Anderson Medical Center in Houston, um, he was able to come up with a hormonal treatment plan that um, is, was relatively new and offered a great deal of promise and literally doubled or more the expected lifespan that Anna would have with stage four cancer. Well, the initial diagnosis thought I had high grade serous cell cancer, ovarian cancer, and it's really low grade, which is slow growing, which is um, good news and bad news. It cannot be put in, in remission, but it's slow growing and there is a treatment it's to slow the progression or stop the growth of the cancer. And I've gone every three months or every, now every six months, and uh, there has been no progression and it is stable, which is probably the best we can get. Um, women have been on this medication for 10 years, and um, so there's great hope in, in that for my, my case too. And uh, God has been faithful, he has, he has gone from one diagnosis to another, to um, one treatment plan to another, and through it all, we have had the prayers of family and friends, and um, we have felt the power of prayer and uh, the strength that comes from that and the hope that comes from that, and it's all from this, this wonderful God that we have who, who's able to do anything. Since I've been a pastor here, I've seen both Anna and Mel go through cancer diagnoses and treatments. I've also seen them lose several loved ones, and I've been one of those many individuals, as many of you have as well, lifting them up in prayer. Although Anna's cancer is not gone, both Anna and Mel count it as nothing short of miraculous that she is doing so well. And they believe that prayer has been a big part of the success of these treatments. Uh, thank you all for sharing your story with us this morning. The second story comes from a good friend of mine that you do not know. His name is Mark, and he gave me permission to share his story with you. When he was in high school, his dad, who was a United Methodist pastor, was diagnosed with cancer as well. Mark watched his whole family go through these various stages of processing this news. As his family began to accept what the doctors were saying was going to be the outcome of this diagnosis, Mark continued to pray and continued to declare with confidence that God would save his dad. Mark just knew that there were people all over the world praying for his dad. And he held firm to his belief in the healing power of prayer. Physical healing for Mark's dad did not come. 
Mark lost his dad as a 20-year-old who was the oldest of five children. Do you know stories like these? Stories like Anna's and Mel's, where God has intervened in some amazing way? Stories like Mark's, where tragedy occurs that has been prayed against fervently? These stories and stories like them create dissonance. The tendency we have is to drop one of the notes altogether and play the other one louder. But to do so is disingenuous. To only lift up one note in this reality is to portray a false picture of our God. And in doing so, a world that is increasingly confused about who God is sees Christians claiming God is one way, but their experience reveals something different. So what should we do with this dissonance if we can't just ignore one of the notes? We read Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18 just moments ago. Let's zero in for just a moment on the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse 17. Now, I know that when I read it moments ago, several of you were thinking, he's not even going to read the good part? (laughs) If you've heard this story before, thankfully Paige did reveal what happens. I I told her to go ahead and do that for the kids. Uh, God is with them as they are thrown into the fire and saves them. But we're going to focus on their response to the king specifically in verses 17 and 18. They're faced with a choice between worshiping an idol made by the king or being thrown into this fiery furnace of doom. The NRSV, which is what we we read a few minutes ago, it's what's in your pews, so it's what we kind of default to. Uh, it, It said this, If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Verse 17 in the Hebrew is actually pretty confusing because it uses this word that we translate as if. And when you and I read it, it makes it sound as if they don't really know if he's able to save them or not. The NASB Uh, is a translation that's known to be a very literal translation. It translates a little bit differently. It says this, If it be so, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we're not going to serve your gods Worship the golden statue that you have set up. If you missed the nuance there, in this translation, it paints a picture of these three having a belief that God is able, that God can save them, and they believe he will. But they want to be clear that God, what God does for them right then and there does not impact their resolve to worship him and him alone. Notice their claim about God's ability. They claim that God is able to save them. It's as if they're saying he is able, 
Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but he's able. Do you hear the dissonance? Is he a God who saves or not? Well, he is the God who saved Israel out of Egypt, right? Yes, but he was also God while they were enslaved for several generations. Isn't he the God who saved David and gave David victory over Goliath? Yes, but he was also God years earlier when the Philistine army defeated the Israelite army in a battle killing 4,000 soldiers, Israelite soldiers. You see, at times, Scripture shows us God protecting and saving his people, while at other times we see God allowing them to experience tragedy. These three young Jews would have been well-versed in all of these stories. In fact, these stories defined God's identity for them. It was through these stories that God was revealed to them. He had been revealed to them as a God who was indeed able to save them, but who does not always intervene to prevent harm. Yet when presented with a life or death situation, their confidence was not shaken. It's because their confidence was not that God would save them from the fire. Their confidence was that their God was able. Their determination was that they would serve their God only whether or not he saved them from the fire. And here is the main point I'm getting at. So listen to this part, and I'm going to say it twice. Their faith in God was based on who God is and what he had already done. Their faith in God was based on who God is and on what he had already done. As Christians living under the new covenant, our faith is also based in who God is and what he has already done, not just our experiences of what he's doing today. If our faith is based on what we experience God doing today, we'll be constantly wavering and inconsistent. But if our faith is based in who God has already revealed himself to be, we can have faith that remains firm in the midst of trials like these three. Earlier in the service, together we recited part of Paul's letter to Timothy. Listen again to just some of these words that we read together. I want you to pay close attention to the way Paul talks about what God has done. He talks about what God has already done in the past tense as what enables him to endure his current sufferings. He says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has, past tense, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us, past tense, was given us in Christ Jesus 
before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who, again, past tense, has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And verse 12, that is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Paul knows God, knows who God is because of what God has already done. And then Paul says, and am convinced that he is able, he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So as Christians, we live with dissonance. We hold together these two truths that God is able to accomplish more than we could ask or imagine. And that often God allows tragedy. We are able to bear this dissonance only because of what God has already done through Jesus Christ. So don't try to resolve this dissonance by ignoring one of these realities. To ignore that God saves is to deny God's power in our lives. To ignore that God allows tragedy is simply untruthful and an inauthentic witness of faith to the world. Instead, hold firm like these three that we just read about in the face of trials. Hold fast to the truth of the very first Bible verse that many of us learn as kids. Because it teaches us what God has already done for us. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hold fast in your declaration that God is able. Our God is able. And no matter what the future holds, we will worship him alone because of what he has already done. And now for some final good news. The dissonance that we currently live with isn't going to be held in tension forever. We have been given a promise from our God that he will resolve that dissonance. That the tension will not exist in the end. In Revelation 21, we're told that God will wipe away all tears. There will be no more pain, no more suffering. In the end, the tension will be resolved. The C chord will be played. For now, we live in the middle of this uncomfortable dual realities. God is able. Let's proclaim that. In the midst of trials, proclaim God is able and we will worship him whatever the future holds. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you together. Lord, in being here, we are acknowledging that there are other idols that are 
clamoring for our attention, that are clamoring for our worship, for us to bow down to them. And we are saying, no, Lord, we will worship you and you alone. Not just because we hope you're going to do something for us today, but because you, of who you have already been revealed to be, a God who is faithful, who loves and cares for each of us. And we rest on the promise that one day this tension will be resolved. And we give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.